Hello, listeners, and welcome to a very special Ed Surge On Air Extra. 32. That's how many years of experience John Deasy, the former superintendent of the Los Angeles Unified School District, has under his belt. He's been a teacher, a high school principal, and a superintendent in four different districts across three states. Deasy, however, is also known for leading one of the largest and most controversial one-to-one iPad deployments in the country, one that led to a frenzy of media reporting and columnists asking what worked and what went wrong. After leaving Los Angeles Unified in October of 2014, Deasy joined the Broad Center as a superintendent in residence, where he's been working to develop transformational system leaders across the country. But now, he's gearing up for the next chapter, creating an organization to address juvenile incarceration and reduce recidivism by 50%. Ed Surge caught up with Deasy to chat about the ups and downs of superintendencies and whether technology is adding to issues of inequity. And we did have to record him on the phone, but doesn't make the information any less interesting. Let's get to the podcast. Mr. John Deasy, you have been in the education space. How many years would you say you've been in this industry? Um, 32 to be exact. Okay, so that's <laughs> that is quite a large collection of years. And yes. you've played a lot of different roles. So can you give us a quick summation of the various roles that you've played? Sure, teacher. Um, and I was a high school science and math teacher. Okay. Science was my background. Um, I did the usual things, coached and all that kind of stuff as a teacher. I've been a high school principal um, and just, I mean, there's no question, I just absolutely loved that part of the work. Mm-hmm. Being a high school principal was just maybe one of the best jobs I ever had in my life. Um, and I was a high school principal in two high schools. Um, and then I've been a superintendent and had the pleasure of serving in four districts, one in Rhode Island, two in California, one in Maryland. Um, and I am uh, currently superintendent resident at the Broad Center. At the Broad Foundation. And that is down in no, Los no, Angeles. No, at the Foundation. Oh. That's very important. It's the center. What is the difference between the Broad Foundation and the Broad Center? It's actually a huge difference. Um, so I just, and they're very specific about it. So the foundation is the foundation. They um, make grants and what foundations do. The center is endowed by Eli and it is the organization that um, has for more than a decade been developing transformational system leaders across the country. Okay. And for your work, so since you left LAUSD, you have been working with the Broad Center, but um, yes. you mentioned so briefly. what I do there is we work with cohorts of people who are, who are chosen who go through the program and help develop them into system leaders and then also provide executive coaching as well. And then you also have something that is in the works, uh, I believe, that you're launching in October. So what, talk a yep. little bit about that organization. Sure. That organization is called New Day, New Year, and I will be designing, building, and standing up this organization, which will be a series of alternative juvenile prisons. I'm going to spend the next 10 years really working through the very, very, very difficult, um, seemingly intractable problem of juvenile corrections. Mm-hmm. 
And so in a way, this is sort of kind of taking you into a, a bit of a different space from what you've been working on in the past, at least when you were superintendent of Los Angeles Unified School District and some of the other school districts, because this is going to be a nonprofit or... Um, it could be a nonprofit. It is just, it is, we're trying to do very different work. So um, recidivism is pretty horrific. Juvenile corrections is very broken. And we're going to create um, a very different experience for students. We intend to cut recidivism by 60%. Our students will graduate from New Day New Year after their residential experience, and they serve their time uh, with us, uh, who will be drug and substance-free, and they will be resilient, and they will be employed. They'll be on track for graduation or already enrolled in community college. Um, there's been a couple of things written about that already. You can kind of reference that. Mm-hmm. This is, in many ways, I, I used to go every Sunday as a superintendent, no matter where I was, and spend some time with young people um, in prison and have wanted to return to this work for, I knew this would be a piece of work I wanted to do in the next uh, eight to ten years, um, and really um, try to provide a set of proof points that are radically different results for kids. So before we get into sort of the specifics of that and what your um, plans are moving forward with that organization, let's look a little bit back on um, what you've learned about leadership and what it means to be in a position of power in a district. So um, I'm sure you get asked this all the time about your experiences within LAUSD, but also some of the other districts. And at EdSurge, you know, we talk a lot about technology, we write about it. So let me ask you this, looking back, what worked... Uh, when you were superintendent of Los Angeles Unified that you would recommend to other new and upcoming superintendents? Oh, wow. A a couple of things. What I would recommend is be absolutely true to yourself. Um, Don't for a moment forget that your ultimate responsibility is the youth of your city. Um, Most of whom hope to be you one day uh, and come from incredibly uh, really impacted situations and that you do whatever you can and must to make sure that those students have a right to this thing called the American dream. Mm -hmm. Uh, Be really clear about their rights, meaning the young people's rights. Um, Be courageous. Uh, That's what matters. That's why you're there. Um, those would be some of the most important things up front. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the technical aspects of the job, um, and that is not everything can be done at once, even though I repeatedly uh, made mistakes, uh, I think, uh, around trying to do as much as possible um, in as short a time as possible. But the reality is not everything can be done at once. Mm-hmm. And it's important to what you have to do um, and to think about the work in phases. And the next thing I would say is you're absolutely nothing. Um, you don't get one single thing done. You really are nothing without a great team. Mm-hmm. And the deliberate investment in building a great executive team who then build teams has just been so important. I can't say enough about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do your absolute level best to work with your board. They're elected. I, I never worked in mayoral control, so I only worked in elected boards. Okay. Um, and realize that sometimes you won't agree um, and that you 
have to go back to the first part, which is be true to yourself. But also compromising um, is a really wise and good lesson um, to know when and how to do that. Very little is black and white, most is gray <laughs> in terms of our work. Um, bring people along, especially the elected. Um, share successes. Be responsible for failures. Um, spend as much time as possible with and among students. Uh, visit schools regularly, visit classrooms regularly, see students outside of classrooms. Uh, that is, you'll get unbelievable nourishment and dividends by doing that, and that's also how you come to learn your 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 responsible your responsibilities for your young people. Mm-hmm. And then I think the last thing I would just say is um, you're going to this job is unrelenting and un- incredibly demanding. It is 24/7. Like there's no way around that. Mm-hmm. Be really ready and clear for that. Try to keep yourself healthy and realize that you have relationships outside of the work world that you need to be responsible for too. Mm-hmm. Like in my case, I'm a dad and a husband and um, up until a while ago, a son. Uh, both parents have passed. And like there's a lot of responsibility um, that often doesn't get uh, its due service because you're giving so much of the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is an important piece of balance there. But let me stop there. I think that's <laughs> that is a lot of advice. And, you know, considering also that technology was one of the things that um, you focused on while with LAUSD, what sorts of advice would you give to other administrators specifically about going one-to-one or things to know or sort out before purchasing technology? Well, I think that from the beginning, technology is a support. It doesn't replace instruction. We know that doesn't replace people, we know that too. But it is critical and essential component to how we function and how absolutely the young people are going to function in school and when they get out of school. Um, and that um, while you'll get lots of criticism, I think it's really important that youth, particularly um, who live in circumstances of poverty and peril, have access to technology. Um, and I think that's probably a set of the most important issues. Um, nothing's going to be perfect and nothing is forever. And I think, um, other purchases other than like, even in the old days, like chalk and, 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 uh, workbooks, they're consumable, so to speak, because they have a, they have a certain amount of life. Otherwise we tend to think of things as very long standing mm-hmm. and technology gets obsolete quickly. Um, and then just be prepared for that. Um, it isn't like building a building or buying a desk. It's not going to last 20 years. Um, it's going to need updating. It's going to need some new and relevant software, um, et cetera. And I think the last thing I would say, which to me was one of the most amazing learnings, is that overwhelmingly the students are more advanced and skilled than the adults at usage and application of this technology. And there's a great opportunity there um, because it's also coupled with the fact that the adults are much more skilled and advanced in knowledge. And that's why we teach. But together, the two of them, 
can provide a really unique place for building a new type of relationship between student and teacher. In in looking back at sort of the the years that you worked, not just in LAUSD but other other districts, and you know, with various groups of people, you must have a lot of experience with bringing technology into the classroom. But I I see that you're sort of moving p- past technology, especially in your new role. Is, oh yeah, I mean, as I said, it wasn't something to move towards, it was something you had to facilitate because it's necessary, but not sufficient to the whole education experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the role I'm going into is about the work, not the technology. Mm-hmm. I think technology will play a role in it, especially since so much of education in the residential treatment facility has to be customized. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I think, will have, again, a new um, and interesting opportunity there. But this is really about juvenile corrections and juvenile justice. Mm-hmm. So actually, so let's let's talk about that for a second because recently you published a an article on the seventy four million dot org um, entitled "Bridging the Chasm Between the World and Me: My Promise to Tanahisi Coates," who is a very well known black writer who has written about um, education and modern day politics and race relations. Talk a little bit about what it what it was that you were trying to get across with this article and how maybe it's influencing some of the work that you're doing going forward. Sure. I think the article is very self-evident. The language is not um, obscure. It's actually very direct and very personal. And so what I was saying to him and, and, and much larger bit line is that we're in a very, very, very um, troubled place in this country right now. Uh, at all kinds of levels. As a matter of fact, I make the case that we're in the middle of an uncivil war. Um, and I talk about that, and I talk about that in terms of the place I know the best, which is education. Secondly, I try to tackle the, 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 the actual issue. You know, where is the place for white leadership um, right now in the country in education? And I answer that question for myself pretty clearly. Um, and then uh, thirdly, I basically, you know, he has some very tough language in his writing for all of us, but particularly um, for white leaders. Um, and I respond by saying you can expect um, us to be part of this work with you. And in doing that, I make a series of promises, um, and uh, one of them is the next piece of work, which is directly from his pretty devastating, his not pretty, his devastating uh, article published in the Atlantic, uh, "The Black Family in the Age of Mass Incarceration," and I am trying to very specifically respond to that to young people. And so in this new role that you're taking, you know, yeah. sort of with that as um, information for our readers, in terms of what you're working to do in Los Angeles with incarcerated youth, is there any role that technology plays at all in pushing more inequities into our schools? I mean, I guess the question is, people, I've heard people say that ed tech can be a great equalizer. But the more I see, the more that I begin to question that. What are your thoughts about 
the truth or perhaps lack of truth behind that statement? Um, just as a point of clarity, my new organization is going to open in L.A. County, Alameda County, Oklahoma City, and New York City. So okay. it's going to be beyond L.A. Okay. Um, and back to your question, does Ed Tech, am I understanding correctly, facilitate greater inequity? Is that what you're, is that the statement I should respond to? Yes, I guess does it, does it bridge a gap between various groups of students or is it actually creating even bigger inequities than were than what was there before? Um, I, it's a great question. I, I can only answer my experience. I'm not an expert um, in this. I don't think it's creating more inequity. That's for sure. That inequity already exists. I think it's absolutely trying to bridge a digital gap and digital divide. And I say that knowing that, of course, that it doesn't solve everything, uh, doesn't come close to. But I think access um, is critical for young people. It is, we know this, I mean, you all write about this all the time. It is a fundamental platform for socialization, for learning, for acquisition of new knowledge, for opportunity. Try to get your driver's license if you can't manage technology and getting an appointment. Or in California, if you make a mistake and you have to, uh, you know, you get caught speeding or run a red light, you, you can't act, you can't work with the system unless you can use technology. Mm-hmm. That's just but one little example. Mm-hmm. Um, if you happen to be uh, type one diabetic, uh, there is zero, absolutely zero possibility of managing that without um, technology. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to give you two very different examples. Um, one about personal health and one about the ability to navigate, you know, and drive. So I say that because it's not right. It's, it's totally crazy if the world is, um, you know, facilitating that divide. I think EdTech is helping to actually bridge it. Um, but I, I say that with the full cognition that it is by no means the only way to solve that problem. Did you see some of that bridging when you were working as a superintendent in some of these lower-income districts? I did, um, very much so, because we always, and this is something I was actually quite proud of, mm-hmm. had a very clear equity agenda. Um, those who historically have been disturbed had the least uh, get the first and most attention. And so even... In the distribution and approach to technology, we had tiered all the schools from greatest impact to least impact and began to work very rapidly in schools of greatest impact. Mm. I think that's how you do it. Mm. And so in this new role, talk to me a little bit about what it is that your ultimate goals are. Um, there is certainly... So listen, if you want, yeah. you meaning who's ever reading, if you want a shorter lifespan, and you want relationship, guaranteed relationship instability all the way up to like marriage, and you want to earn less your whole life, and you want compromised health, and you want uh, a lower academic attainment, then get convicted and spend just one period of time in jail, and that will be a guarantee. And that is an atrocity um, for young people, children. Uh, we are the country that incarcerates more human beings per capita than any country on the planet. Um, we are a country that puts children in solitary confinement. 
things that we abhor in other countries and have sanctioned them for it and gone to war over it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the rate of recidivism uh, fundamentally is not getting better. Um, As a matter of fact, just doing time uh, statistically indicates that you will continue to remain inside the system. Mm -hmm. I want to be part of a solution to that. And I want to be part of a solution to that for children. And there's probably, I have a feeling just knowing that we have educators and administrators who read our content, listen to the podcast. They're probably out there thinking to themselves, that is a big, big, big problem and a big, big, big space that needs effort and needs ideas and needs input from a lot of different people. But where do we start? So I guess, where do you think that people should start? And and what would an average teacher in a classroom be able to do to contribute to what you're talking about? Uh, I think two things. One is welcome young people back when they have their time to correct when they've made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's probably the most important thing. Um, to withhold judgment and assumption is the blessing that these young people need. And second of all is I do have laws that need to be changed. Um, I intend to be part of that. And one of them is juveniles, young people who've completed, I use the word successfully complete their sentence. They've done what they uh, were sentenced to do. They need their record expunged, not closed. Mm. Um, and, and the notion that you are forever, that forever hanging over you is just wrong. And so they can be part of that as well. Mm-hmm. And it's a big problem. I, 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 that's what you solve, what you can solve at the time you can. So I start my own backyard um, and work from there. But there's, but there's bigger themes at work here, which is it's one thing to put in effort to fix what's in your immediate environment, and it's another thing to take action and work on initiatives that are affecting people on a national or even global level. I mean, it sounds like that's sort of what you're trying to get at with launching your nonprofit in more than one city outside of just Los Angeles. That's right. It's how I always approach the superintendency as well. Mm -hmm. You try to do the absolute best you can to help the students and their rights um, in the district, and you also use that job and that platform and that privilege and honor of doing that job try to change things in the state and hopefully a nation. And how do you do that then in a situation where you know for a fact that not necessarily every adult involved has that same interest at heart? Um, By being impatient, um, by being clear and constant and persistent about the need and the problem, um, and being bold and courageous. Well, as all of our listeners and all of our readers are going back to school or have already gone back to school, do you have any last pieces of advice for, you know, something for them to consider as something they should really work on for the new 2016-2017 school year? Um, There's a lot of pieces of advice out there I'm sure to pull from. Yeah, no, I'm trying to think about how to say what I want to say. Um, I do have something very specific I want to say. Okay. Um, And what I want to say is that 
I think everyone who's watching media, reading print, or uh, have the opportunity to publicly witness is seeing a time in this country of pretty unimaginable um, uncivil discourse. Mm -hmm. Um, Hateful language, uh, very confusing language. And so I guess a piece of advice would be, let's use our schools to do just the opposite. Let's think about language of acceptance and language of understanding and language of debate as opposed to hate. Uh, That's what I'd like to say. Excellent. Well, we really appreciate you, John, coming on the podcast and coming on the website, and we're excited to see what you do next. Thanks for listening to this very special edition of Ed Sir John Air. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, visit us at soundcloud.com slash edsurge. We'll see you next time.